Welcome to our Sunday morning gathering. My name is Paul, and I have the joy and honor of serving as one of the pastors here. I think many of you know that I've reached a stage in life, it is, it is a joyous stage in life, where I now have two daughters still living at home who are driving. Someone has told me that two of the biggest milestones for a parent to celebrate are when your, parent, when your child is potty trained and when you reach a point where you're able to leave your kid at home by themselves. A parent gains great freedom in each of those moments. And so in that vein, I think the third milestone to celebrate would be when they are able to drive themselves. Because no longer do we have to run them from activity to activity. No longer do we have to do errands for them. They cannot now do errands for us. And they can take our other children from activity to activity. We don't have to do that anymore. So there is a big upside to our children being able to drive. But it also has a little bit of a downside. More money for cars. Uh, More money for car insurance. Uh, More money for gas. And there's also a little bit... Um, of a risk. Now, we've been relatively risk-free for a a significant season, but a couple weeks ago, that abruptly came to an end. Within a period of less than 24 hours, I took on two stressful phone calls. Two, not just one, two car accidents, right? Now, both of my daughters were okay. They, They were fine, uh, the cars are, one of them is a little damaged, the other one uh, quite significant. But, but it was certainly one of these moments of like, really? Two car accidents, not just one? <laughs> now the reality is both of them are, are such good drivers. They're, they're better drivers than me, so neither accident was their fault. Which is good when you only carry liability insurance. In one of, one of those situations, the other driver quickly took responsibility for the damages. But in the other, we found out that there was a bit of a, a lie taking place. In that moment, his story, if the, if the claims adjuster believed his story, we would be left with a big bill. It seemed like someone choosing to do evil, to do something unjust, they would get away with it. Now, by week's end, everything was resolved. The claims representative had acknowledged this accident was not your fault, clearly. This was his fault. So a guilty party was going to be held responsible. That was good for our checkbook. But more than that, determinations that a guilty party will be held responsible is something that we who care about justice should celebrate. Because we care when those trying to take advantage of others, when those in power, prone to abuse the powerless, when they do not get away with it. We celebrate. That is something we rejoice in. One historic individual that can teach us much about being a people who long for justice 
is a man named John Newton. Now, just in case you don't know who John Newton is, he is not the mathematician who first articulated the laws of gravity. That's Isaac Newton, okay? John Newton wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. And he also served as a slave ship captain, an experience that led him to later work to abolish the wicked practice. Well, one morning, near the end of his life, he heard the news, the bill to abolish the slave trade in Britain was carried by a vote of 283 to 16 in the House of Commons. After trying to get that passed for 20 years, Newton had witnessed how people made in God's image were harvested, treated as property, often discarded and disgraced, and sometimes murdered and sold into a life of disgusting servitude. He knew human beings were being treated in an unjust manner. He knew he had treated humans in an unjust manner. Reading his personal accounts of what happened and what was happening are not for the faint of heart. But he lived to see the day such a wicked practice was abolished. Imagine his joy. Rather than individuals continuing to be abused and taken advantage of, justice was affirmed. When things like this happen, we rejoice as Christians because those who are oppressed, those who are victimized, they are vindicated, and that's good news. But what do we do as Christians when the determination affirming justice has not happened? What do we do when it seems like those doing acts of evil, evil are able? Sometimes even they're, it seems like they're empowered to take advantage of the vulnerable. What do we do when people in power are profiting off of the powerless? This morning we're exploring a passage of Scripture, the passage read earlier, that helps us consider these types of questions. As Eric mentioned, Psalm 28 is a psalm of David, and it is known as a psalm of lament. If you're unfamiliar with psalms of lament, these are psalms the author expresses sadness and disappointment to the Lord. You see, there are situations in life that make us sad, and that should make us sad. Psalm 28 is one such scenario, the problem of injustice. Now, we're not certain what the injustice is. Perhaps David is reflecting on how individuals use power and status to oppress others. Perhaps individuals in the midst of a war are torturing those being conquered. Perhaps he is confronted with stories of betrayal, where those closest to him have chosen to abandon him. Whatever scenario it is, the psalmist is sad. The psalmist expresses that sadness by saying to the Lord, Do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent to me, listen to the sound of my pleading. To the psalmist and to the one who sings this psalm, it seems as if God is not listening. 
So the title of the sermon this morning is, When God Sounds Silent. What do we do as Christians when God sounds silent? Psalm 28 is inviting us into that tension. This will contrast significantly with the psalm that comes next. Those of you that have been memorizing Psalm 29 have learned that it repeats the phrase, the voice of the Lord, over and over and over again, seven times to be exact. In that psalm, God does not sound silent. So preview for next week, the title of that sermon will be, When God Sounds Strong. But that's for another day. For this morning, what do we do when God sounds silent? If you have not opened your Bibles or Bible app to Psalm 28, go ahead and do so. Encountering injustice, confronting the ways we and others are sometimes abused and oppressed, it should make us sad. It should make our hearts hurt. I know because many in this room have been hurt and harmed by what is unjust. Many of us have hurting hearts. What would Psalm 28 invite us into? The big idea today will be a hurting heart hoping in healing hands. Psalm 28 will invite us into practices and prayers that are helpful when our hearts are hurting. So it will provide us a couple lessons in healthy habits for a hurting heart. And those lessons will be expressing hurt honestly and having hope in healing hands. So let's start with expressing hurt honestly. Here's verses 1 and 2. Lord, I call to you my rock. Do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent to me, I will be like those going down to the pit. Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. So so the psalmist, when experiencing a, a hurting heart, rather than turning away from the Lord, turns towards the Lord. The psalmist expresses a cry, and it is a bold and honest cry. Lord, I call to you, do not be deaf to me. I know some Christians, when hearing such an honest and raw approach, or if they're being encouraged to adopt a similar one of drawing near to God, may argue that what the psalmist is doing seems to contradict an attitude of worship, or a disposition of submission, or an attitude of accepting God's will. The approach may seem arrogant and prideful. Now, bold honesty can be rooted in arrogance. I want to get my own way. But that is not always the case. We we must consider the type of relationship that serves as the foundation for such an approach. So when I go to my doctor and I say, doctor, I'm hurting. The medicine you prescribed isn't working. I'm still tired. I don't have energy. I'm sad most or all of the time. I'm being bold in my approach, but I'm not accusing the doctor of being negligent. I'm being honest about the hurt I'm experiencing with the one that has the hands to heal. The relationship the psalmist has with God is far more significant than what a client has with his or her doctor. 
God invites his people into something with far more depth. Bold honesty before the Lord can be rooted in a sense that God you are addressing will listen to you. The psalmist understands he is able to approach God with honest questions and concerns. He has the type of relationship God has made himself approachable to him. He should expect God to listen. So the psalmist begins with an honest approach and continues by expressing honest fear. Here's verse 3. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with the evildoers who speak in friendly ways with their neighbors while malice is in their hearts. So the, the psalmist is honestly expressing a fear of being abandoned. That he would be treated like someone who does not value and honor the Lord. Many of us probably have similar fears. We fear God rejecting us. We fear others rejecting us. We fear we will be alone. We fear we will become isolated. We fear becoming the outcast. Because of the guilt and shame we carry, we know we do not deserve grace. And so we fear encountering wrath. We fear being condemned. Some might say that expressing honest fears is allowing doubts to determine our mood and mindset. Rather than turning towards, it could be a form of turning away from the Lord. That's not what the psalmist is doing here. You see, there are times when I fear that my wife doesn't love me. Times I fear that my wife doesn't value me or care about me. Now, sometimes that's because of things that I know I have done. Sometimes it's because she is disappointed, and rightly disappointed, I'm sure. And sometimes it is insecurity in me. What do I do with such feelings? Keep them to myself? Bury them down deep? When I share those feelings with her, I don't know if you care about me. I don't know if you love me. Am I turning away from or turning towards her? Honestly expressing concerns to her is not allowing doubt to determine my mindset. When I express to her how I feel, those are not definitive statements. There is a lesson here some of you need to learn. When, when someone says they feel hurt or harmed or disappointed in their relationship with you, it doesn't mean you did something wrong. You're receiving someone expressing a feeling because they trust you. It's not always an accusation. Because of the type of relationship established, you are approachable. They can be honest with you. God has invited his people into a relationship that we can be honest with him about our fears and our disappointment. So a hurting heart in relationship with the Lord honestly expresses disappointment and fear. Because of the relationship they have been invited into, they are free to do so. Listen to Pastor Timothy Keller. It is not right for us to simply say to a person in grief and sorrow that they need to pull themselves together. 
we should be more gentle and patient with them. And that means we should be more gentle and patient with ourselves. We should not assume that if we are trusting in God, we won't weep or feel anger or feel hopeless. The psalmist is not stuffing fears or denying fears or allowing fears to rule him. By saying them out loud, because he trusts such concerns and such feelings will be heard, he's living in trust. When God sounds silent, when you encounter themes of injustice, are you honest with the Lord? When you've had to grow up without the ongoing presence of a biological father or mother or perhaps both. When you hear about or have personally been the victim of some sort of sexual abuse. When you have been treated unfairly because of the color of your skin or cultural background. When a loved one has used their hands or their words to bring hurt to you or to others, either directly or indirectly. When you come across others in the workplace or others at school who are dishonest and unethical, who cheat and steal, who seek personal gain at the expense of others. Rather than being honest, Many embrace a form of stoicism. This is a disposition where pain and hardship is to be endured. We're to persevere without the display of feelings and without complaint. You are likely familiar with slogans like, don't cry over spilled milk, or it figures. One recent movie, I think it was last year, Superman Far From Home, offered another slogan capturing similar thinking. Expect to be disappointed, and you won't be disappointed. Each phrase captures the mindset, hey, there's no use being upset over disappointing situations that have happened or are happening and cannot be changed. Bad things happen, get over it. We simply need to endure. We need to be tough. The author of Psalm 28 is inviting us into something different. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is aware of a number of challenges and afflictions God's people face. He has personally been rejected by others. He has personally been hurt and harmed. He has seen persecution and dramatic abuse. To the Christian encountering such circumstances, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. The, the Apostle Paul is describing the tension of being disappointed in circumstances and yet trusting in God's work. In the short term, there are disappointing situations we experience, but those are not ultimate. There are scenarios that confuse and perplex, but we do not despair. We do not lose hope. There are situations where we are persecuted and attacked and hurt and harmed by others, where it seems evil is winning, but we are not abandoned and we are not destroyed. The psalmist knows God cares about justice. The psalmist 
may be confused or perplexed about why evil seems to be winning sometimes. But he does not embrace Stoicism and he does not shut down. The psalmist keeps faith in a God who is bringing about justice. So the psalmist moves from expressing honest disappointment to expressing honest desire. Here's verses 4 and 5. Repay them according to what they have done, according to the evil of their deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Give them back what they deserve, because they do not consider what the Lord has done or the work of his hands. He will tear, it, tear them down and not rebuild them. See, the, the psalmist longs for God's justice to be known. This is not a prayer rooted in bitterness or resentment. The, the psalmist is not longing for revenge. The, the psalmist longs for God's themes of justice to be known so that he would be glorified. So when encountering situations of injustice, God's people honestly plead before the Lord for evil to be defeated. And for those being taken advantage of to be vindicated, this happened with my daughter after her accident last week. But let me give you a, another example. Some of you may have come across this story recently. There was a global technology firm that was profiting off of the sexual abuse of children. Visa has been facilitating ads on their platform and even profited themselves. Victims had come forward. These organizations refused to take steps to stop this illegal activity. They were profiting off of vulnerable individuals being abused in horrific ways. Again, reading the accounts of what was taking place is not for the faint of heart. Well, this past week, a California judge allowed a civil lawsuit to move forward to hold these organizations accountable for the harm they have caused. By week's end, Visa had finally chosen to demonetize websites continuing to allow children to be victimized. This is the kind of thing the psalmist is longing for. For people profiting off of the poor. For people taking advantage of the vulnerable. For people abusing others to be held accountable. When that kind of thing happens, that is something for us to rejoice in as Christians. We long for justice to be known. We long for evil to be punished. And so we honestly pray for that to happen. This is permission for some of you to pray, even encouragement to pray. In situations where it seems evil is winning, when people are stealing or cheating or manipulating others, God's people pray for justice. When people are preying on others, God's pe people plead for such deeds to be exposed. When people have been abused and hurt, God's people pray those who caused the abuse and caused the hurt that they would not get away. We express a longing for God's justice to be known that he would be glorified. Now in expressing honest desire for justice, the psalmist is making a bit of a shift in verses 4 and 5. He has begun to move on to expressing hope in healing hands. So let's talk about having hope in healing hands. In verse 4, the psalmist is asking the Lord to repay the wicked according to the work of their hands. 
They use their hands for evil deeds. They use their hands to take advantage of others. They use their hands to cause hurt and cause harm. Some of you have felt and some of you have seen the ugliness of those hands. The psalmist does not believe those hands have the most power. In verse 5, the psalmist says, The wicked do not consider the works of the Lord's hands. The wicked use their hands to undermine and unravel how God uses his hands to bring healing and wholeness. He will tear down the works of their hands and not build them back up. The psalmist is acknowledging the hands that are most powerful are God's holy hands. And so what has the most power in our lives is not the hands that have caused harm. What has the most power in our lives is the hands that bring healing. The psalmist steps in to such truth and says this in verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart celebrates, and I give thanks to him with my song. So what does the psalmist say God has heard? Why does the psalmist say that God has heard the sound of his pleading? Is this psalm written after an injustice has been remedied? Does the psalmist receive a word from the Lord that the injustice he is concerned about will be remedied? Or is the psalmist simply expressing trust that the Lord is listening and the Lord does hear? We can't know for certain, but it seems most likely, rather than having an injustice reversed, the psalmist is experiencing a disposition of trust as the psalmist was wrestling with feelings of God being silent. So just as the psalmist is expressing honest fear to the Lord, the psalmist is expressing hope in God's hands to bring healing. Where do you place your hope to heal when you encounter situations of injustice? One alternative, rather than placing hope in healing hands, God's healing hands, is to hold on to your pain. To to find identity in being oppressed and being a victim. There is lots of power in that. In that case, when God sounds silent, expressing the Lord is not listening to me, the Lord does not care about me, it is not about expressing hope. That is about complaining about God. It is not complaining to God, it is complaining about him. It is allowing hardship and challenge to define who we are. That's not what the Psalms of Lament invite us into. Here's Mark Vrograp, author of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Unfortunately, I know far too many people who are stuck in their complaints. Others never move beyond their requests and what they want God to do for them. Rather than hope, many hold on to their disappointment. It is what they are defined by. I'm the one who has been abused. I'm the one who has been oppressed. I'm the one who has been taken advantage of. These are things to grieve and grieve deeply. And I'm, I'm sorry if someone has ever dismissed what has happened to you with some cliche along the lines of all things happen for a reason. God works all things for the good of those who love him. You just need to trust. Friend, you need to grieve. 
but you are not defined by what has happened to you. Those hands do not have the most power. Express your grief and disappointment to the Lord. Cry out to him. Do it again and again and again. But know you are not defined by the hands that have caused you harm. Psalms of lament, as they express a hurting heart before the Lord, they lead us beyond a fork in the road, a place where we have a choice to either trust in the Lord in the midst of disappointment or to reject trust. Psalms of lament lead us beyond that fork to a place where we choose to trust. We may remain perplexed, but we do not despair. We may still have questions, but we know God hears. So when the, when the psalmist considers the reality that God cares about justice, he sings. He celebrates Here's Rogop again. Throughout the Psalms of Lament, there is this consistent destination of trust. Through all the pain, the questions, the unfair treatment at the hands of others, and the injustice, lament leads us to a place of worship. The psalmist is placing hope in God's hands. The psalmist knows God has dramatically liberated his people from slavery. The psalmist knows God has promised to deliver his people from Satan. The psalmist knows God has promised he would raise up a king that would not just bless the people of Israel, but would be a blessing to all the nations. The psalmist is leaning into promises of rescue and deliverance and past action of rescue and deliverance. The psalmist knows ultimately evil does not win. It may seem like that is the case situation to situation, but when our gaze is fixed on the Lord, we know injustice will be defeated. That's good news. The psalmist continues expressing what it means to have a hurting heart, hoping in healing hands. Here's verses 8 and 9. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a stronghold of salvation for his anointed. Save your people, bless your possession, shepherd them, and carry them forever. So that language, carry them forever, it is repeating a word used earlier in the psalm, Nassau. The psalmist says, I lift up my hands, Nassau, to your holy sanctuary. In verse 9, the psalmist sees how God uses his hands. Nassau, to carry his people forever. The psalmist is moving here from a focus on self to a focus on a people. God's work of bringing justice, it is not just about me. It is for a people. The psalmist is praying God would use his hands to save his people, to rescue them and deliver them, to bless his people. That, that God would use his hands to shepherd his people to nourish them and protect them. Notice here what David is not trusting in. David did not trust in the work of his hands. If he did, he would have had much to trust in. He was a shepherd who used his hands to shepherd his family's flock. He was a warrior who used his hands to kill God's enemies and save God's people. He used his hands to bless others to compose music and play music. 
He used his hands to defend those who were oppressed, the weak and the the vulnerable. But he did not trust in his hands. He did not trust in his ability to make injustices right. He placed his trust in God's hands to heal. God's people do not trust in the works of their hands. We trust in the works of God's hands. In his hands, rather than take advantage of the powerless, rather than oppress, his hands were compassionate. His hands reached out to touch the outcast. His hands were used to heal the sick and the wounded. Rather than use his hands to act out in anger towards his enemies, the hands of Christ absorbed the wrath that they deserved. We have a Savior who rather than acting unjustly was treated unjustly. He was treated like a villain. He took on injustice. He allowed injustice to defeat him to the point of death, to descend into Sheol, and he was victorious over it. And his hands bear those marks. Do you see how his hands brought healing? Do you see how his hands carried his people? Do you see his hands? The psalm contrasts the works of the hands of the wicked with the works of the hands of the Lord. As we conclude, there is one more contrast we must consider. And that contrast has to do with the disposition of the heart. In verse 3, the psalmist says, The wicked have malice in their hearts while they speak to their neighbors. Their hearts seek to oppress, to take advantage, and to be duplicitous. In verse 7, the psalmist says, My heart trusts in him. God's people do not trust in the work of of our hands, but we embrace a disposition of the heart to hope in the works of his hands. If we were hoping in the works of our hands, we would have a problem. Because as much as we love justice, we do unjust things. We take advantage of others. We use power to profit self. When we trust in the works of his hands, because of his past work of redemption, because of his promises to bring justice and to carry his people, we are free. And so when someone is causing you an injustice, you don't need to get even. You don't need to get even with words to justify. You don't need to get even with lashing out on social media. You don't need to get even holding on to bitterness and resentment. You are able to extend grace. God will bring justice. You pray for that justice to be known, but you do not see yourself as the source of bringing that justice. So for you who have been abused, you who have been cheated, you who have been manipulated, you who have been taken advantage of, you do not need to use your hands to get even. Now, just to be clear, I am, I am not saying having hope in God's hands leads to passivity. I think of John Newton, who fought against the slave trade, who I mentioned earlier. He trusted in God to bring about justice. But, but he also published a, a famous pamphlet called Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade. 
This labor of his hands had a major impact in the fight to abolish the wicked practice. Newton used his hands to fight for the oppressed. But when you read Newton, you know that in no way, shape, or form did he view himself as the source of justice. The benediction that we are using this month as a church, that's the blessing that we receive as we are sent out to live in the world, is Psalm 90, verses 16 and 17. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. For God's people, there is a relationship between the works of the hands of God and the works of the hands of his people. It's not that our hands don't work. We use our hands to image his work. We use our hands to bring about healing and justice and wholeness. He establishes the work of our hands. The work of our hands point to him. A hurting heart hoping in God's hands is freed from thinking about how to get even. And it frees us from seeing ourselves as the source of justice and liberation for ourselves and for others. But it does not free us from using our hands to work for the Lord. We don't use our hands to get even, but we do use our hands to fight for justice to be known. And for those who are hurting to experience healing. So a question for you this morning to consider. What has your heart? As you consider unjust situations, and I know, I know, you see them experienced by others or you felt them yourselves, does your heart simmer and seethe over how you could get even? Is your heart holding on to the pain that others have caused, so much so that that pain defines you? Or is your heart hoping in God's hands to bring healing? Even when it seems dark, even when it sounds like God is silent, will you trust in the work of his hands? Psalm 28 is giving us words when we encounter disappointment, knowing there is a good God who has not yet addressed every injustice. It can be confusing. It can be perplexing. But it is not a reason to live in despair. It is a reason to cry out to the Lord, to be honest and to have hope when God sounds silent. May we be a people who are honest about our hurting hearts, yet who hope in God's healing hands. Let's pray.